Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Alicia DeLashmet. She's the founder and president of Our Home Inclusive Community Collaborative, a nonprofit, and the founder of Cathedral Park Co-Housing in Portland, Oregon. Her professional background is in landscape, interior, and architectural design, and her vision is to create an inclusive and diverse co-housing community. Alicia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It is nice to have you on. I'm really excited to talk about um, what you're passionate about and your life's work right now, which is really about a co-housing community that you are building from the ground up. And first of all, uh, give us a little bit of background on who you are and why this was something that you started. Ah, um, well, I am first and foremost, a parent of an awesome young woman who's about ready to turn 21. Um, she experiences disabilities. And so I was looking at, you know, community for myself as I get older, community for her as she gets older. Um, my mom is also in her 80s. Don't don't tell her that I told you how old she is. Um, but I was thinking about community for her and really started looking at um, what options were out there for us as um, either single parents or single women or, you know, just families in general that are wanting a little extra support and connection didn't find a lot of what I was looking for in like assisted care facilities and, you know, other, other kind of housing and started to look at the co-housing movement, um, which has been in the United States since the eighties and comes from Denmark um, originally. And of course the Israeli kibbutzes before that. Um, and really loved how these are communities of people who come together intentionally with a shared and stated set of values and they build connections and reciprocity in their communities. And I thought, dang, this sounds really interesting for us, you know, and I know that there's a lot of families and individuals out there that are looking for connection and more than just, you know, being the island in, in the universe and um, decided to start a community of our own and bring people together. So that's kind of how the whole thing came about. So your group is called Our Home Inclusive Community Collaborative, and it's really about building a neighborhood. And And so your community is not just like, I mean, there are homes within it, but it's also this whole idea of helping each other, but not just helping, but but living together, having that uh, collaborative in a way that is very rare, I think, in the way that uh, neighborhoods are built right now. And the neighborhood that we're building is actually called Cathedral Park Co-Housing. So our Home Inclusive Community Collaborative is a nonprofit that I started about five years ago to help assist these kind of communities come about. So the goal of the nonprofit, the mission is to promote, support, and develop inclusive and diverse communities. And their first project or sort of, you know, uh, uh, their first focus is on helping Cathedral Park co-housing get up and running. And once it does, then the nonprofit pulls back out of it and goes and helps other communities move forward. And Cathedral Park co-housing will be a self-sustaining neighborhood and community all on their own where the people that are living there are homeowners. Um, they are managers of the HOA and they are folks that have come together 
with the intent that they want to care about each other and be present in each other's lives. Um, it's not, um, it's not a cult. It's not a commune. Um, (laughs) it's just really a group of neighbors that have, you know, stated the intent that they don't want to live life, you know, in, you know, alone and they want to have other people that are around them. You know, I think, I think the pandemic really drove home to us the importance of community you know, we, we spent a lot of time where we were just in our little tiny family pods or by ourselves and we felt so isolated from other people and even, you know, the broader neighborhoods and those kind of loose connections that you have with folks at grocery stores and people that you just pass by and say hello to. And, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to have that type of connection with your community members that they know you, they're looking out for you. Um, you may not see them every day. But we have, you know, um, communal spaces and places that people can gather and just, you know, we we are within eyesight and can, you know, give a shout out or a wave. And those connections are so important. And I think the pandemic really pointed to how important they are to us as human beings and as communities in general. So this first community is going to be based in Portland, Oregon, which you already have land set aside. You, I mean, you're, you're far down this path. Are you are you based out of Portland, Oregon? Is that why you chose that? Yeah, I am. Um, I actually live in a single family home about three and a half miles from the site that we're going to be building on. And it's an urban build. Um, some co-housing groups are more rural. Um, we wanted to be urban so that we had access to all of the amenities that a city has, um, you know, as far as walkability and and pubs and coffee houses and doctors and groceries and all of that. Um, but we also chose a spot where we've got a lot of access to nature and paths and trails and um, organic produce and um, a community garden. So we've got this particular community sort of has the best of both worlds. And each co-housing group has its own flavor. Um, some are very eco-based. Some are more spiritually based. Some are senior, so 55 and older. We are multi-generational. Um, and um, so each community sort of has its own culture. So, so walk us through, like, how did you, so you had this idea and you, and you saw other co-housing spaces. What was the first step that you took? How did you get from there to here? We called it over, under, around, and through. (laughs) So it's been a journey. Um, I think first and foremost, the most important things that we did were pulling people around us that had a similar desire. So the, again, it's a community developed project. Um, it's not something that somebody goes and builds and you drop in and you buy it off the shelf. Um, co-housing brings the community together a couple years in advance and we get to know each other. We help you know, move together with our professionals that we've hired and we form connections before we move in together. So it's very different than a single family home where you just you know, you see it, you buy it, you roll the dice on what your neighbors are going to be like and what your neighborhood's going to be like. This we know ahead of time. And that's kind of nice in a, a the uncertainty of the time that we're in right now, where we have interest rates that are on the flexi end of things. And, you know, we've got supply chain issues and labor issues. The way that co-housing comes together is you join the community a couple years before you're even ready to get a mortgage and move in. So right now we're forming that community in this particular um, co-housing group. And then two years down the road, we'll be built and moving in. So this is sort of a nice runway 
um, of during this uncertain time, we get to make connections and have fun together. And then in a couple of years, we'll be moving in together. Um, so I know I didn't completely answer your question. So as we first got started, we identified a few core families that wanted to come together and help make this happen. Uh, we found the space that we wanted to be in. We determined that we wanted to be an urban build and found land. Uh, we worked with a nonprofit to help purchase that land and secure the land. And then we worked with uh, for-profit developers, architects, lawyers to help set the stage, sort of build the foundation to make sure that this is a project that uh, makes sense financially. It's put on a piece of land that has the proper zoning. Um, the market rate value will support the build for it. So we build a really strong team, um, both with families, with the nonprofit that I mentioned earlier, and with this professional development team. So really, it's a, a big collaborative effort to keep things, to get things moving forward. And now is when we're bringing the community members, the rest of the community members together that are going to be the folks that are buying the units and living in this kind of intentional neighborhood in Portland. And you're looking to house 15 to 35 families. Is that correct in this one? We've got 35 homes in this, uh, condo homes, mm -hmm. and lots of shared space. Um, one of the challenges on the market is that co-housing tends to go for sale, tends to sell at about 10 to 20% more than a typical condo per square foot. Um, so when you're just looking at your unit, you think, hmm, why would I want to do this? But what co-housing provides is a lot of shared amenity spaces. Um, we have a common kitchen, common dining, um, places for people to gather, uh, storage areas. Um, there's much more open space. It's not like your typical apartment building or condominium. And the design of co-housing is really to help bring community together rather than to keep it apart. So if you think of common spaces in most uh, condo buildings, they're sort of hidden down around a corner on the third floor. And by the time you get there to sort of peek in to see if anybody's there and you realize that Bob's there holding court, and Bob always <laughs> holds court. And you're like, oh man, I can't put up with that. And you go to sneak away and Bob gets you. You don't even want to use the common space. <laughs> in in co-housing, the common spaces are much more upfront and obvious. What's going on? Is it a book group? Is it a is it a music class? Is it yoga and meditation? Is it dining? You can see who's in there. You already know the people. You, you can decide, hey, I'm ready for a big group, or there's just a few people in there sharing a bottle of wine. That sounds perfect to me. Um, so you have a lot more, um, there's a lot more of, uh, you know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> in the way that co-housing is built. You know, I've only ever lived in apartments or single family homes where uh, exactly what you described. I picked it out, I moved in, and then you go meet the neighbors and, and, and hopefully they're great. How do you, when it comes to having a community, um, how do you decide who's in the community and who's not? It's a great question. Um, so we are a part of a development LLC. When we first come together, we join a development LLC. Um, we've actually called our ours platypus because we are a strange and wonderful animal. <laughs> I, I love that. So you join. <laughs> uh, you join our our LLC as a member, um, and we we do a pretty extensive um, getting to know you period. We call it an explorer. 
Um, we'll do a little learn about information session for people that are just co-housing curious and wondering what we're up to in Portland. And then we offer between 30 and 60 days of really get to know us. We get to know you, you come to our meetings, you come to our happy hours, you see all of our documents and you know what we've put together, all of the legal aspects, understand the financial aspects. And then if that feels like home at that point, then you join that LLC. And we get to know each other over that period of time that it takes to build the co-housing group. And so by the time you move in together, you really, you know, you really do know your neighbors. And if something does happen where say you get a, a job and get transferred to Fiji, or you decide that this just isn't for you, there's, there's no, like, you have to buy a unit at the end. You just drop out of the LLC and the funds that you've put into it come back at the end of the project. So it's not, you know, we're, we're dating, um, we're not making a family together right off the bat. Um, so it's, it's pretty low stakes um, in, in a way of getting to know the folks that you're going to be sharing space with. So once it's built and you move in, what is the obligation going forward? Do you, do you sign up for a certain amount of time or how does that work? Yeah, um, we have what's called circles. Um, we, we help kind of manage our decision-making process and our contributional processes through a um, organizational structure called sociocracy. Um, and it's a super cool way of people get to do the things that they're interested in and that they're good at. So I don't have to do all the reserve studies for the HOA, but maybe I can help make soup and be on the garden um, you know, circle. Um, or somebody else is on you know, the conflict resolution circle, the problem solvers, or someone is the uh, landscape maintenance circle. Um, so we each give what we can when we can. This is something that's pretty unique to our group as well. We don't have a minimum amount of time that you are required to volunteer because we all know that people have families and lives and sometimes you're more available than others. But we're really built on this uh, collaborative uh, way of being where we communicate, you know, it's like right now I'm getting my hip replaced. I can't do the gardening for the next couple of months. Can somebody step in? And by the way, I could really use a couple pots of soup, but you know, when I'm up and running, I'm going to be, have much more energy and be available to the community. So it's, it's a give and take of what life demands as well as what the community needs. I really like that. So I, like I said, I've never be, even been part of a co-op. How would you um, contrast that to a co-op situation? So a co-op situation is where everyone owns a percentage of the overall space. So I could be a, a 10% owner or a 80% owner of, you know, so I kind of buy into it and co-own everything. In co-housing, you own your condo. So you own the space that's between your walls. The HOA then owns the common spaces and you pay an HOA dues fee, just like in any other condo association that helps to maintain those common spaces, but you have full access to all those common spaces. So this is a, an ownership model where when you're ready to move on um, and you're ready to sell your condo, we have a, um, agreements on how that happens, but it's basically you're just selling your condo on the market. And then that person who wants to buy it, um, they have to go through that process of kind of like, yeah, do we have shared values? Because that's where I think that that that's what you think that could that could be the uh, difficulty here, right? Right. Um, well, the agreements on how the units are sold, um, how homes are sold, we have a very robust interest list. Co-housing isn't there. It, there isn't a lot of it on the market. 
So it's a very coveted product. Um, part of that is because you do have to get involved with co-housing groups a year or two years before they become homes. So you have to jump in. Like By the time they actually exist and are built, everything's sold. So you can't just, you rarely can buy a unit on the market. Um, there's about 150 co-housing communities across the United States. Um, so for the amount of people that are interested in living in co-housing, you can imagine that there aren't a lot of you know, units available. So, and most of those communities never hit the typical market because they trade hands within the community or on these interest lists. You know, you make relationships with communities and they go to people that are interested inherently already in co-housing and living within this type of, of situation. Um, if a unit does, if a, um, a buyer isn't found within the community or on this list, they do sometimes go onto the regular market and communities often work with realtors that are familiar with the co-housing concept. So they don't actually just don't accidentally just sell the unit to somebody that has no idea that they're buying into co-housing. And then they move in and all of a sudden all these people are like saying hello and asking them to join them for dinner and wine. And they're like, what do you want with me? <laughs> that is, that's happened. I've heard of that happening at a, another co <laughs> another co-housing community and that unit uh, sold again very quickly because the person had no idea that they were buying into co-housing. So we need to be pretty cautious with you. Know, yeah. You're going to buy in and people are going to want to know who you are. And there's plenty of space that will leave you alone. Privacy is of utmost respect um, but we also are looking for that easy connection that community brings. So, you know, um, affordability is one of the top values that you guys have here because so you've made the homes, the condos are, you know, they range in size. They're going to range in size from 500 to 1500 square feet. And that could be studio one, two, and three bedrooms. And in addition, you have made it so that because in this particular co-housing situation, you want to have a diversity of incomes. And so in order to do that, I think you've gotten outside funding to like, tell me how that works and, and how you ensure that. Right. Great. So yes, um, part of, you know, our, our value system is inclusion and diversity. We want to have a range of income in our community. And that's something that co-housing frankly has struggled with. Um, these are not inexpensive units to buy on the market and people need to come in ahead of time with their heart and soul and time and money to help make them happen. Um, the way that we've worked some of our affordability into this particular 35 home development is we've um, pulled aside three units and in the price of our market rate units, we've made these three units um, affordable to people that are 60% or below median family income. So we've subsidized it with the basically with the revenue of the project. We also have partnered with the nonprofit that is helping to bring additional subsidies in to make either um, those units more deeply sub, uh, subsidized or do some additional units at a, uh, a lighter subsidy because in Portland, median family income and market rate are, are pretty divergent from each other. Um, so part of what the nonprofit is working to do is to help provide some of those subsidies. Um, we also are partnered with a land trust here in Portland called Proud Ground, and they will help us keep those affordable units, affordable in perpetuity. So uh, we have a, a process by which when those units sell, a portion of the gain goes to the previous owner, but about 75% of that gain stays in the unit 
allowing it to continue to roll up into uh, a subsidized unit moving forward. The last thing we wanted to do is to raise a bunch of subsidy and then have them flip into a market rate unit immediately. So we want to keep this rolling. I think this is especially interesting, I mean, from many aspects, but the fact that it is um, infill housing, like it is urban um, and not in an inexpensive place. I mean, you're not in the Midwest. You're not, you know, a little bit farther out. I mean, you're right in the middle of Portland and it feels like if you can do it there, it's a great, you know, template for doing it in other places that are not you know, traditionally affordable, like, you know, West Coast housing is not something that you think, oh, yeah, that's exactly where we should put a, a, a co-housing neighborhood. I think another another challenge that we're trying to meet um, is that co-housing tends to be predominantly white. Um, and uh, we know that not every family um, has had the opportunity to build equity in a home or have generational wealth or has the funds that are available are liquid to come into a co-housing group because we do put in about 20% of the value of our home into the development, kind of the early stages of the development. Um, that issue has, that has kept a, a lot of BIPOC families uh, not able to purchase units or feel comfortable in co-housing. Um, so the nonprofit is also helping with the, funds that they raised and have put into this project, their funds stand in for some of that early down equity uh, for families that would qualify for a mortgage later on, but don't have the liquidity to qualify right up front. Um, And we're hoping that that helps to bridge the gap and cut down on some of the barriers that we've seen. Um, We are looking for investors and people that are interested in opening up this opportunity for a broader spectrum of people to help contribute to the nonprofit and help, you know, with low interest loans or, you know, other kind of partnering to help broaden the spectrum of who co-housing is available to, um, because it, it hasn't been as available to a, a wide spectrum of humanity as much so as we would like to see. Was there a co-housing community that you found that you looked at that you are modeling this after, or does it diverge from all the others in some specific ways? Or was there like, hey, this is a model we're looking at? Um, I think we we learned as we talked to different co-housing groups what worked and didn't work for them, what their challenges were, what their successes were, what their disappointments were. From what I know, this is a a pretty unique model of the nonprofit for-profit partnership in co-housing um, with its intentionality to be inclusive and diverse. And we want, we know that with this first development um, we're, we're making some inroads. We're not doing everything perfectly, but we're learning from it and want to get better as we move forward. Um, I don't know that there are other models that are specifically like this, that we, that we modeled ourselves after we've, we are more on the forefront of making something happen that other folks have wanted to make happen for a while. I got, I get teased a lot of uh, working with other nonprofits that they'd love to do multifamily, multi-income, self-sustaining community. Their board would love to do something like this, go do it and show us that it works. And people have said, you know, you know, the first one through the windshield has it the hardest, (laughs) which is brutal and not, not a pretty image. But that's what it feels like here is that we're working to crack open something that hasn't been um, successfully done yet. And um, we're going to do it. 
Really inspiring, you know, development um, in the middle of a city and especially in expensive cities, you know, especially bringing in uh, potentially different, um, a diversity of incomes, especially, you know, might typically meet with, you know, not in my backyard or, or um, you know, a community that doesn't welcome that. So how did you guys, how did you guys combat that? And I know you say you start in the community, but I don't know if you owned the land first and it's the people around there. Like, how do you, how do you get buy-in so that that development can even take place? That's, that's great. So um, early on, I went to the neighborhood association meetings and told them, you know, we just purchased this land. Here's what, here's what we want to build here. Um, what do you guys think? What do you want to see in your neighborhood? And I took a walk around with the president of the neighborhood association and she kept giving me sort of sidelong glances of, and finally asked me, why, why are you walking around with me? Because developers don't do this. (laughs) The developers don't ask people what they want in their neighborhood. And I'm like, well, I'm not really a developer. I'm a family that is helping to develop a community and we want to be a part of the broader community. We aren't just an insular drop in. We're a part of what's going to be here. We're families from, you know, all over that are coming together to own homes and be a part of this neighborhood. And we we want to know what you're looking for and we want to be welcomed. And I think because it's not just a development that's dropping a um, a type of person or building housing. It's we're building home and there's a big difference between building home and building housing for someone else. We're building homes for ourselves and our neighbors and um, the neighborhood finds that very appealing. And we've actually, we've had a, a, we pulled a pizza wagon up in front of our site last summer and had kind of a ground warming party and, you know, invited neighbors to come down and have pizza with us. And we, we rented some baby goats and <laughs> had beers and, and soda waters and a pizza wagon. And um, it was really nice. It, we feel very welcome in that community. And that's a good feeling. It feels like home. Baby goats. This is the key developers. Now we see, you know, I know it's just one, one part of a bigger picture. So, you know, our audience is um, full of real estate and mortgage folks. So these are people at every part of the home buying transaction. So that's from, you know, the helping you find a home to, you know, the transaction part of it, to the lending part of it, appraisal, title, anything you can think of. So who are some of the first or, or what kinds of um, industry people, housing industry people, did you partner with first and how did they get involved? We had early on conversations with construction lenders to make sure that this was a viable product that they would be willing and interested in lending to. Um, we worked with our development group to make sure that this was the type of project that they would want to develop. Um, and they are some of the only uh, professional developers on the on the West Coast that are doing co-housing. So they have co-housing experience, um, as well as multifamily. Um, we've worked with mortgage brokers and realtors. Um, the, the realtors have to have a client that is looking for something in a couple of years and be willing to, again, not have that immediate gratification of we need to get in a home and we need to do it now. So this is more of a, you are planning your future. So it's a forward projection. Um, Reverse mortgages, uh, somebody who does reverse mortgages finds this product very interesting because often the folks that are interested in co-housing tend to be those that have retired and are looking maybe at 
at getting into a reverse mortgage for the first time. They've just sold their big 4,000 square foot house and they've downsized into a community where they want to age in place. Um, so those are some products that we're very interested in, in knowing more about. Um, so really we've touched on, you know, all the different facets as we've come through this process and um, are interested in meeting more people as we go forward. Really interesting. When do you, when do you think it's going to be move-in day? How far away are you from that? <laughs> so we are just ready to um, go into the city for our permits. We'll start construction in early, actually start construction late 2023 and move in is scheduled for early 2025. So getting there, that's great. What is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to bring those community members around us and complete the the community fabric. So when we go to construction, we know most of our neighbors and uh, we're already together having happy hours and um, working through our agreements and enjoying each other's company. And uh, my ultimate goal is the big party on move-in day in the common spaces and having some music and more baby goats, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And just enjoying each other and being there for each other as time moves forward. And maybe becoming the, um, you know, the forerunner to a a lot more of these communities. Absolutely. No, our, our goal is to uh, wash, rinse and repeat, as they say, um, and find other, other folks that want to build communities and help them with the, uh, with the expertise that we've gathered together from our partners and our lived experience. We'd like to make this a lot easier for the next folks that go around. Um, and, uh, being a, a mom who is working out of her kitchen and just, you know, developing a dream. Um, there's no reason why this, this knowledge needs to, to just be one and done. There's a lot that we've learned here and we've got some really good people that are helping us do it. And um, we'd love to see more of these communities happen because they're, they're good for individuals. They're good for neighborhoods. They're good for us as a, a broader community. And man, it's nice to have something, bright and shiny to look forward to in the future in times like this, to be active in how you're building and preparing for your future really helps with, you know, some of the uncertainty that's around. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your vision with us and also some of the specifics. We'll have to check back with you, see how it's going. Uh, But thank you so much for being on, Alicia. It's been a a pleasure. You're welcome. And if anybody wants to uh, chat, I'm always available for talking. Co-housers love to talk about co-housing. We are the most (laughs) boring people at parties because we're all about this all the time. So people can catch me at Alicia at CathedralParkCoHousing.com and always happy to chat. And that Alicia is spelled A-L-I-C-I-A. So it might look like Alicia, but it's actually Alicia. So just uh, if if they're putting that in there. Well, thank you so much again and best of luck to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. 
With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.